بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم اللهم صل على سيدنا ونبينا ومولانا محمد وبارك وسلم We are in Surah Luqman Surah number 31 ayah number 33 A'udhu billahi min ash-shaytan ar-rajim Bismillahirrahmanirrahim Ya ayuhal nasu attaqu rabbakum wakshaw yawman la yajzi walidun an waladih مولود هو جاز عن والده شيئا إن وعد الله حق فلا تغرنكم الحياة الدنيا ولا يغرنكم بالله الغرور هي at the end of the surah Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala addresses the idea of meeting Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and when we meet Allah we will be alone and we will have no relationship for a while with anyone else except ourselves and Allah so in the statements and advice and the lecture Luqman gave to his son he says that you must take care of your parents honor them, etc. Here Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala now advises us at a different level, a higher level of advice than that of Luqman's advice to his son. Luqman's advice to his son is extremely important and appropriate for the development and training of the children. And this advice from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is very important, appropriate, and necessary for the development of human beings. So that you don't say, how come Luqman said this, and Allah is saying this. O people, fear your Lord. Ittaqu rabbakum. Protect yourselves from your Lord by obeying Him, by being mindful of Him. And by understanding that He is your Lord. وَخْشَوْ يَوْمًا لَا يَجْزِي وَالِدٌ عَنْ وَلَدِهِ And then fear a day where a father will not be able to help his son. Not be able to be of any benefit or use to his son. So now here we see that the, the process of uh, giving birth to a son Walid, someone who gives birth, the Walid, known as the Mawlud, who is now born from the father and the mother. The father will give no benefits, will be in a position not to benefit any son, and especially his son. He must fear that day. That is the last day, the day of judgment. Nor will anyone who is a son or delivered, will he be able to be of any help to his father, the one who delivered him or brought him into existence? Meaning the relationship will be there in the legal sense. But in the real sense, there will be no relationship because everybody will be focused on what it is they're going to say to their Lord. And that is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So Allah is our Lord. 
and our parents are the reason for our existence in this world and then on the day of judgment both will be there in front of Allah and the people will not realize who their father is and who their son is, who their mother is, who their daughter is, who their wives are, who their uh, aunts and uncles are. They will have no idea, con- conception, perception of any relationship between any other human being because everybody will be so preoccupied with the fear of Allah. There is a rabbakum fear your Lord. It means fear. Why does it mean fear? Because the next part of the ayah says so. Waqsho, fear. One is to say, be mindful of your duty towards Allah, which is okay. Eventually that's what happens. But the other is the actual meaning is fear. So now, um, people say, why do you need to fear God? What is this fear mongering? Why is God so punishing and vindictive? So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala explains that. that. Look, if you believe in the day of judgment, then you will know and see, realize and witness a fear that you will not have experienced at all in this world. That's the truth. Right? How does this work? This works this way. In this world you fear death. Do you not fear death? Sure you do. That's why you're on medication. That's why you have health insurance. That's why you work your tail off to pay the health insurance. And that's why you take the medication. You fear for your child. Don't drive this way. You fear for your mother and your father. And you fear for everybody. That is fear. It's real fear. It's not perceived fear. Right? So where in your life does fear not exist? So if you fear death uh, implicitly all the time anyway, then why don't you fear a day when there will be fear and that fear will be real? It won't be perceived. Fear a day. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is bringing the reality out into the open and saying, hey, get off this bandwagon of yours and say that we don't need to fear God because you do. Allah creates death and life. Is that true? And why, what do you do in your life? You do everything to avoid death. So you're fearing death all the time. In this fear, do you enjoy life? Sure you do. No? You enjoy sleep. You enjoy eating. You enjoy traveling. You enjoy your relationships with people. But you still fear death. So, having fear does not preclude you from being positive. That's just a myth in the mind of a person who doesn't know that there is reality. What is the reality? That there is death. This life is the only life I'm going to have, so I'm not going to fear death. Well, you better fear death because you won't have a life then. 
and that is what the Quran is saying. The promise of Allah is the truth. It's a reality, meaning death is a truth, inevitable truth of life that everybody dies. So, so this life should not deceive you. Should not do what? Deceive you. It should not make you in such that you don't fear anything at all and you live in this fantasy that everything is going to be okay all the time. So Allah subhanahu wa says, no, no, no. Sit back and take a few deep breaths and then think about this. That I do everything to avoid death. Why do I do that? Because I fear death. And in that fear I do everything. And that is good because death now allows me to be aggressive and cautious at the same time. Death doesn't stop me from living. And that is the point. That I have to do everything now. Why? Because as a Muslim, I want another life. And that life is where? After death. Which is the paradox. What's the paradox? That death is inevitable, and then a new life is also inevitable after death. So the Muslim now says, I believe in the day of judgment. So when you believe in the day of judgment, then you are fearing that day. A day when no one will be able to help you, no matter how close you are in relationship to that person. No tribal ties, no blood ties, no legal ties. No spiritual ties, no ties whatsoever. Why? Because everybody will be in, you know, absorbed in uh, trying to find an excuse or an answer in front of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So you should fear that day also. Just as you fear death, you should fear that day. So just as in this world, in the bubble uh, that you fear death, you live likewise in a broader sense. In the reality, that is a day when you won't be able to seek any help from anyone. You must fear that day so that you become more active, aggressive, and you do not procrastinate, and you do everything that it takes to make yourself a better life after death. That is what fear does to you. Fear can be channeled in a very positive way. The idea that fear is negative is insane. It's not only just naive, it's just insane. You always fear something. So the Quran says, now use Allah as leverage for your fear. And the way you're going to fear Allah is by living in this world in such a way that you make yourself another life when you meet Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That is what fear of Allah does. It makes you more aggressive in your ability to please Him. The idea that he's a tyrant, and that's just childish. Right. It's a childish argument, and only in the mind of a kid. He says, I don't need to fear you. Every kid fears their father. They used to. Even that's changed now. No one fears their father. Right. You call your father by your first name, and you don't fear him. In our civilization, we never called our fathers by their first name. 
or our mothers by their first name. You come to another civilization, they start calling the grandpa by their first name. It's ridiculous. There has to be some level of respect. Meaning, there's friendship between father and son, mother and daughter, father and uh, daughter. I mean, that's all fine. But there has to be a level of respect which goes beyond friendship. And that is what the Quran is mentioning here. That the father will always have a rank above the child. And the child must honor this. And this is how we see the Quran playing out. That Allah has a rank above all people. And you must respect that rank. If you don't respect that rank, you say, oh, God will do what I want him to I want him to do for me. That, that doesn't help. Because he is God. You worship him. He doesn't worship you. The idea of worship is that you honor him. Not that he honors you. You have nothing in front of him. He's not going to punish you if you are good. But if you are not good, he may punish you because that's who he is. He has the prerogative. Where does this all stem from? The real disease, the Quran says, وَلَا يَغُرَّنَّكُمْ بِاللَّهِ That the one who is the Guru, the ultimate deceiver, who is the devil, should not mislead you. So all of this is a deception in perception from the devil who always now paints a rosy picture when there is no rosy picture and always paints a very pessimistic picture when there is a rosy picture. He always inverts the paradigm. And he comes inside of you and he insinuates and he then creates doubts that why is God saying I should fear him? Why is God so ruthless and unjust and tyrannical and he's full of vindication and punishment? What is this? That's what the devil says. So now what you have to do is you have to kick the devil out from your system. The Quran is the haq. You are wrong. But you have to do it yourself. In turn, in your mind, in your heart, and say, sit down and be quiet. Tell him, sit down and be quiet. This is not the way I want to think. I want to believe in what the Quran is. The Quran is the truth. So when the Quran says, ittaqu rabbakum, the first that comes to your mind is fear your Lord. That's the only translation you would have from the Arabic. Right? And this is what the Sahaba did. This were all the prophets said. Even though they were close to Allah, they knew that he could, if he chose to, punish them. The fact that he didn't is out of his fadl, his grace, his mercy, his rahmah. The fact that he could is now where we stand. He said, you may do this, that's your prerogative, and we hope you won't do this. This leads you to become a better human being and a better person in general. This motivates you just as fear of hunger and poverty motivates you to wake up in the morning and do what you do. That's fear. Why do you tell kids to study? It's a fear of them becoming what? Hungry and poor, out on the streets, without any clothes, without a job, etc. That fear motivates you. So likewise, here in the Quran, fear of God motivates you forward. It doesn't put you down into the doldrums and say, I want to be depressed because God says, fear me. No. Then the proof is in the pudding. 
who are the most productive people that Allah ever created? The prophets. And did they fear God the most? Yes. So that your, your understanding that fear is wrong, is wrong. So we have to be careful that we don't see it from the devil's eyes. The devil should not deceive you into having this simplistic view of life and say, God will forgive me because God is merciful. He is merciful. But he may do something else that you know he can do if he chooses to. You can't play God with God and say, God, you can't choose this. Why are you worshipping him? Then you're God. People must, might as well worship you. <laughs> you seem to have authority over God, which is what we hope people do. Right? <laughs> so Allah subhanahu wa says, look, this is the truth. If you know your rank above your father, and if you know your compassion towards your child, you will understand that on the day of judgment, there will be no ranks amongst you. The only rank will be that of Allah above you. And if you understand that ranking, then you will fear that day, and you will fear Allah, and you will do what Allah wants you to do in this world, because that's the way you behave as human beings. This address is to mankind. Ya Yuhannas, all the people. Where Luqman was talking to his Muslim son, Allah is now talking to every human being, regardless of what their faith is. When they read this ayah, uh, they should come to terms with this ultimate reality, which is facing Allah on the Day of Judgment. And then lead your life accordingly, uh, meaning that fear should prompt you to become a better person. إِنَّ اللَّهَ عِنْدَهُ عِلْمُ the conclusion of the surah is in understanding that only Allah has definitive and executive knowledge of five realities. Five realities. This surah talks about the wisdom of Luqman, who is Al-Hakim, and the surah also talks about the wisdom of Allah, who is eternal. And the surah also talks about the knowledge of Allah that is eternal and it cannot be written. No matter how many uh, pens and pencils you have, and no matter how many oceans of ink you have, the names and the words of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala cannot be explained. That is now his eternal knowledge. So eternal knowledge with eternal wisdom and the wisdom he gave to Luqman, who is not a Nabi, they all stop where? Here. And this ayah. In Allah in the Hu'ilmusa'a. Indeed, with Allah alone is the knowledge of the hour. The knowledge of the hour. When will the last day come? When is the day of judgment? When is that threatening promise of God's? It's in the previous ayah. Allah is saying, In Nawad Allah Haq. Indeed, the promise of Allah is absolute. It is real. It is established. So now, people ask, when will that day come? When is the day of judgment coming? So Allah subhanahu wa tells all of us, as human beings, only Allah knows when that hour is going to come. When that moment will come. When Allah gives the order, it will come. 
Now what is the purpose of knowing that the hour will come? That you prepare for it. And that you are ready for it. And the way you prepare and you become ready for it is by following the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi The issue of time is huge in Islam and in the Quran. Time is mentioned in different ways. This is the time when a certain decree comes into existence. That is called the Sa'a, the final moment. The greatest moment on earth will be the moment when the earth is destroyed. And that's how we get to the word of Sa'a to mean the day of judgment where the day of judgment, the process of the day of judgment will begin at that hour and during that time. Only Allah knows that, as we know from the hadith of the Prophet wasallam. It doesn't matter how many numerical calculations you have and how many signs you have in Romans and how many signs you have in the Bible and how many signs you have uh, from people's statements regarding certain ayat of the Qur'an and certain hadith, it doesn't matter, only Allah knows. So now trying to figure out when the Day of Judgment will come, you may spend 30 years trying to find that and pinpoint accurately when it comes, but during that time you'll die. So who's the fool? You are supposed to prepare for that moment. Okay. Not think about it. Right. Prepare for death, not think about it in such a way that you become depressed. So this is the lesson here. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is saying to man that time is in Allah's hands and this precise moment when the time will continue to discontinue. Eventually time will be slaughtered as you know on the day of judgment. So your job is not to be deceived by the knowledge of that or not knowing that. Your job is to prepare for that so that you're not afflicted and affected by that hour when it does come. Prepare yourself. Right. When there's a tornado warning or there's a hurricane warning or any kind of warning for inclement weather, then everybody takes precaution. That's also fear-mongering, is it not? It's fear-mongering for the right reasons, not for the wrong reasons. And if you don't take uh, evasive action, what's going to happen to you? You'll die. The county tells you to evacuate. You're stubborn. I don't fear anything. The county says, that's on you. We don't care. God says the hour is coming. And you say, I don't care. It's going to impact you. You're not going to be excluded from a phenomenon that's going to affect everybody, regardless of who you are, what you are. So human beings can't afford to be stubborn about this and say, well, the time hasn't come yet. We haven't seen it yet. Just as uh, you know that when the winds are blowing this way and you see the satellite pictures and you see evidence, uh, that's called the signs of the Day of Judgment. Al-Imarat. So when you see the signs of the Day of Judgment, you must know that you have to prepare rather than sit down and discuss the academic accuracy of those signs. Uh, this hadith is da'if and this is da'if. Never mind that. Prepare for the hour. This report is not weak. It is weak or is not sound or whatever. Well, the weatherman is saying and the weatherman is not God. He sees the signs. And he's creating fear in your mind. So for you to say that you're doubting the weatherman, that's stupid. So all the signs of their judgment, they're coming upon us and people are debating 
whether or not that hadith is sahih or not. Give me a break. <laughs> the vanity of man's man's mind is that that shaitan, the gharoor. The devil comes in and picks your brain and says, you don't have to worry about that because it's not true. It's not correct. It's not accurate. Well, you have to worry about your own death. And when your death comes, that's your hour. As the Muslims have coined the phrase that death is the minor day of judgment. Right? Your death is a minor day of judgment for you. So why don't you prepare for it? Instead of saying that, that this is not accurate, this is not accurate. I don't agree with it. But it doesn't matter whether you agree with it or not. You're going to die. Right? So get over it. You're not God. So here Allah says, Allah Only Allah knows the knowledge of the hour. The knowledge is in Allah's hands. It's not even the hands of Israfil who's going to be blowing the trumpet. Right? It's not in the hands of Jibreel who's there in the heavens who has knowledge of this and that. It's not in the hands of Rasulullah sallallahu as we know, when Jibreel asked him, he said, I don't know. The one you ask him knows just as much as the one who is asking. Right? So this is now how we see Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala saying that knowledge comes from Allah through his hikmah, through his wisdom, which is eternal. That knowledge is given to people like Luqman. Even though he's not a Nabi, he had tremendous knowledge and hikmah. Um, but your job is to be grateful to Allah because that is the greatest and uh, the highest level of hikmah and wisdom that you are grateful to Allah that he's given you life and you prepare for another life. وَيُنَزِّلُ الْغَيْثِ And here uh, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala changes the address and the style of address say that he is the one who sends down beneficial rain. وَيُنَزِّلُ الْغَيْثِ the word ghaith doesn't mean rain in general. It's a very specific rain which is beneficial. From the word ghaith and ghoth. Ghoth means help, assistance. Ghaith is rain that helps you, not rain that destroys you. Right. So now people are trying to understand this idea. They say, well, well, we know when it's going to rain. We have the weatherman. Allah is not saying that. It's very specific. That's why you need to learn Arabic at a deeper level. The word ghaif means beneficial rain. So you don't know when one drop of rain is going to be hurting you or harming you or benefiting you. Only Allah knows that. And that's why he says he sends down that beneficial rain when he wants to. He is God. So sometimes rain is beneficial. Other times rain is very destructive. As we all very well know. MashaAllah, Allah saves from detrimental rain. And he is the only one who knows when rain will come. Sometimes there are signs uh, in, the, in the clouds and in the atmosphere that rain will come. And the weatherman predicts, but then the rain doesn't come. Right? So the weatherman is not always 100% accurate as last week. We were supposed to have a snowstorm, but it never came. But even though it didn't come, we were prepared. For the snowstorm, potential snowstorm, we even cancel classes here due to potential inclement weather. That's what fear does, and that's how you're supposed to behave when you know something detrimental is going to happen. You prepare for it. You don't say, I'm, I don't care. You should care. 
What I'm saying is that only Allah knows when a, a drop of rain is going to land on that, that piece of land. Okay. That is how uh, meticulous and microscopic Allah's knowledge is, which is what the Prophet said. Allah sends down with every drop of rain an angel to make sure it lands where Allah wants it to land. Well, that's not the weatherman. Yeah, that's not NASA. That's God himself. He brings down the rain through his system, uh, which is precise, accurate, meticulous, and microscopic. This is what this part of this ayah means. He is the one. He brings down the ghayth, the beneficial rain. Amen. And he knows what is in the wombs. Again, man's uh, uh, evolution in knowledge and his ability through science and technology to know with certainty what is and what is not in the womb, Allah subhanahu makes this statement 1400 years ago where he says he is the one who knows what is in the wombs, all wombs, arham. Yeah. So now your, your medical and your, your scientific uh, community will say, well, we know. Yes, you know, a little bit. <laughs> Just a little bit. Well, we know this excellent. Yes, fine. What is it that you don't know is greater than what you do know, and you'll be the first ones to admit that what we know today through science is so little that we need to know more. Yeah. So although science and technology has allowed human beings to understand the phenomenon of the, the womb and the uterus, and everything else. The word ma here is very critical. Okay. And that in this word ma, again, going back to the Arabic, you must know the Arabic of the Sahaba. And when the Sahaba heard this ayah, they knew exactly the breadth of this application of the word ma. There's a difference between the word ma and man, for those of you who know a little bit of Arabic. Okay. Man is referred to a human being, usually somebody who has intelligence. Or the ability to be intelligent. Ma is used for everything, regardless of whether it has intelligence or not. So here the Quran is saying that you don't know anything about what's in the womb. Not who's in the womb. What's in the womb. So the word ma means what? Yeah. And knows that which is in the womb. And people use the same thing. No. It's not about the sex. It's not about how physically capable the child is in, in the womb, etc. It's about the whole life story of that which is in the womb. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, we don't have to uh, uh, apologize. This is what we've always understood. Right? Now, we're not saying this because science says we know. No, we're not apologizing. Science can do whatever it wants. Some of us benefit from it and some of us don't. That's wonderful. We're not saying they don't know. What we are saying is that this word was understood by the Sahaba as soon as it was revealed and narrated by the Prophet ﷺ to mean what it means today. It's the same thing. That aqidah has not changed. Nobody knows what's in the womb of the mother, meaning the whole thing, the life story. Whether it's going to be Shaqi or Sa'id, right? As the hadith says, that after four months, the angels bring in the ruh into the womb and they are given the knowledge that what's in the womb will be either a fortunate person 
or an unfortunate person. So that knowledge is given to the angels when they bring the ruh in. Right? At performance. Or at performance. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is saying that nobody knows what's in the womb except Allah, meaning the whole package. Yeah. This person's uh, abilities, attitudes, this person's propensities, this person's destiny, this person's actions, and this person's eventual fate. Nobody knows that except Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. You may know a little bit. The microscopic is minuscule in front of what Allah knows. And this is where everyone, this is what? Everyone. Now, you will only know yeah, through science if you have what? The technology with it. So when you look at somebody who's pregnant, I know. You only know when you use the gadgets and the tools. Allah doesn't need the gadgets and tools. Allah knows before, Allah knows during, Allah knows after. This is the meaning of Ya'lam. Allah knows eternally whatever there is in the wounds. So you must apply the Arabic uh, uniqueness in this translation so that you don't mess up. So now, when you know this, you will never mess up as a Muslim scientist. You don't know anything. <laughs> this, It's good. There's some progress, but it won't be to the level of becoming God. Nobody becomes God because they have a little bit of knowledge. Only Allah knows everything there is to know about human beings. And no soul knows what he's going to do tomorrow, what he's going to earn tomorrow. So, you will make plans for tomorrow, but you don't know what you will end up doing. You may even end up doing what you said you will do, but you don't know the result and the consequence of what you will do. Again, the whole package. Whatever you're going to earn tomorrow, that only Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows. So the knowledge of the future of human beings and the human beings' actions is also with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. You can never predict that neither for yourself nor for anyone else. It's all in your hands to take the initiative. You plan, you take the initiative, but you don't know the consequences. That is in the hands of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And you must rely upon his knowledge as you take the initiative to plan. And then you take the initiative to do what it is you want to do. But you don't know the ultimate consequence, which only Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows. Now, when you know this, you will not do anything, hopefully, uh, that is counterproductive and counterintuitive to this eye, which is what, since I don't know what I'm going to do tomorrow, I'm not going to do anything anyway. You're childish. Right. You don't, you don't resort to fatalism for your laziness, for your inertia, for your being lethargic. You don't blame God for you not doing anything that you're supposed to do. This is what Allah knows. Allah doesn't test you according to His knowledge. He's testing you according to your knowledge. Have you made a plan tomorrow to do this? Have you made a plan plan to do Dhuhr, Asr, Maghrib, Isha? Yes, you have. So you make that plan and you go with it. Have you made a plan to do this? Yes. So now, once you make your plan and you have the niyyah, you take the initiative and you go forward, you don't say, well, Allah knows what I'm going to do. So I, if I don't do Zuhur today, He knows I won't do Zuhur today. 
That's not it's as ridiculous. It is as ridiculous as it sounds. It is pathetic. I mean, it should not be addressed as a question. So, here Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is saying, hey look, don't be dragged into fatalism by assuming that what you have to do tomorrow might not be beneficial. And what you have to do tomorrow will be a burden on you. And what you have to do tomorrow will be a challenge. Okay? Take the first step. Initiate the process. Then Allah will help you because only Allah knows what the eventual consequence of your action will be. So this again prompts you, propels you, motivates you to become more active and become participating in your own future without relying on fate. So, again, this is the Qur'an exhorting human beings to become better human beings, not lesser human beings. And no soul knows which land, piece of land, he will die. So why is this important? Only Allah knows which piece of land on earth you're going to die. Big question. Um, one is that only Allah knows when you will die. That's a given, right? In your case, only Allah knows when you're going to die. So here Allah is not addressing that issue. Allah is addressing the issue, where will you die? Which part of earth will you die? So now, you have to scratch your head and say, what is this? Allah knows everything. I mean, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's microscopic knowledge, detailed knowledge of every human being is so specific and precise and accurate that he knows exactly which part of earth you're going to die. You and all the trillions times trillions of human beings who ever came onto earth, he knows all of that. Before us and after us. He knows exactly where everyone's going to die. Which piece of the earth? That's fascinating. I mean, just, just the knowledge of this, just belief in this is mind-boggling. And then you say, subhanAllah, Allah. There's nothing else you can say when you know that Allah knows. Again, the shaitan, devil, how does he know all these details? That's why he's God, that's why you worship him. Because you can't perceive him. You will never know him the way uh, you want to know him. Because you're not capable. You're, you're just a very simple human being with a very simple mind. So the word Ard here is very critical. So, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala created Adam alayhi salam from earth, from the dust and the soil of this earth. Is that correct? So now, when our DNA goes back to Adam alayhi salam's clay, and we all came from Adam, then every part of our DNA comes back from Adam, and Adam's uh, Soil uh, was gathered from where? What's our qidah? Again, you say, where's the haditha? And never mind. You kind of graduated from that, right? Yeah. I hopefully. That's our qidah. The Adam's soil came from where? Did it come from Jannah? No, it came from this earth. The angels collected Adam's soil from which there was now the mud and the clay and then the whatever came afterwards. And then Adam himself. So everybody who was to be created was there in that soil. Very microscopic. 
And he said, how is this possible? And I said, well, you believe in stem cell research, right? <laughs> I'm going to use your science against you. You believe in stem cell research? And in a single cell, you may be able to develop a whole human being. And you're saying that God was not able to develop every human being from the soil that he took from earth. It's crazy. No. People have a problem saying, why did Allah create Adam, Hawa, Eve, from the rib of Adam? That's, that's diminishing. That's demeaning. I said, no, it's not. You believe in stem cell research. How many cells are there in one rib? No? I mean, you, you marvel at the idea that human beings are able to create something from one cell. And you're not giving God the prerogative to create from this huge rib. Now, who's playing God? I mean, you're stupid. Just listen to your own illogic conclusion. Your premise is wrong. Your, 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 your data is wrong. Your, your conclusion, everything's wrong. So it's demeaning. So why is it demeaning? Now you're saying that uh, we should engage in stem cell research and we should do cloning and this and that. And you're saying this is marvelous this is science and technology, human progress, evolution, blah, blah, blah. And in your Muslim Aqeedah, you say, I don't believe that Hawa was created from a rib. You get your facts right first, right? Understand where it is you're coming from. You can't contradict yourself by saying science is God and God is not a creator. Anyway, so we all came from the soil uh, that Adam was made from. So... The ulama have said, again, to their credit to understand this part of this ayah, that the word ard is very essential in understanding what this ayah means, that uh, usually people don't know why they die, where they die. But the Prophet and the Sahaba knew that Allah will allow people yeah, to die where their soil was taken from. Man. So the Prophet saw some soil was taken from where he is buried. Abu Bakr's soil was taken from where he is buried. Omar's soil is taken from where he is buried. Uthman's soil was taken from, not there from. Baqi, a few hundred yards away. And Ali's soil was taken from wherever he's buried in Kufa. Right? Yeah. And Isa al soil was taken from the place next to Omar's. Yeah? There's one spot left. So the ulama, you have to give, give them their credit for being geniuses. They, they search and scan the hadith and they say, what does this word mean, Arb? Why is it so important for Allah to reveal in the Quran that nobody knows where, which part of earth they're going to die? Only Allah knows. And what is the process? The process goes back to where your soil was collected from. So you'll turn, you'll go back to where you were taken from. Minha khalaqnakum wa fiha nu'idukum. The Quran says, this is a proof of what the ulama is saying, that the Quran says in Surah Taha, 
that we have taken you from it, meaning the earth, and we will bring you back to the earth where you were taken from. We will bring you back there. So the Quran is saying this. So now, when you, when you look at this fascinating description of what the ulama is saying, then we understand that the ummah did understand the Quran. Before the Industrial Revolution. Before the human rights discussion came along. Right? And that's how uh, formidable they were in their scholarship. So no one knows, no soul knows which part of earth they are going to die. So anyway, may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala give us death in the best place, uh, in the best way possible. Then the conclusion, إِنَّ Allah عَلِيمٌ خَبِيرٌ Indeed, Allah, He is all-knowing and He is all-aware. So He knows everything and He is aware of everything. So now we have two names of Allah. One is Al-Hakim, the other is Khabir. Al-Hakim gives you the wisdom in the knowledge of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and Al-Khabir gives you the experience in the knowledge of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. No one has the experience to know what Allah knows. So now your empiricism only goes a certain way. So if, if you rest your edifice of scholarship on the empirical approach, where you only know what you know through trial and experimentation and empiricism and, you know, this is the laboratory, then you are a, a very uh, um, incomplete civilization. Your civilization must have hikmah, which is based on wahi. Also, the two must go together. So when a Muslim civilization has knowledge from wahi and knowledge from experimentation, it is a complete civilization, not an incomplete one. And that is the purpose of this surah. That is the purpose of seeing Luqman giving instruction about who Allah is how to behave, how not to behave to his son. That this is your world view. So in your world view, if you want to follow the hikam, the wisdom of Luqman, then you must understand, Inna Allah alimun khabir. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is all knowledgeable. And his knowledge is of two types that we can logically understand. Not chronologically, they, they all exist at the same time, as you know. That knowledge is then going to be either Knowledge of ahkam, which is the sharia, or knowledge of human experience and experimentation, which is where the word khabir comes in. So you need both. You can't rely on one and not the other. So the complete civilization that found, finds its knowledge base on wahi and human uh, experience is the complete civilization. And this is what Muhammad sallallahu left. Both. Now, the advantage for Muslims is that they have another source of knowledge, which is what? Wahi based. The disadvantage for the non Muslim is what? They reject Wahi based knowledge. So now, those of us who are here and enthralled by the civilization, which, um, okay, fine, has infrastructure, it has benefits, utility. Alhamdulillah, this is a great nirmah. We must not see that this is the end. The be-all 
uh, of human civilization. It is not. Why? Because uh, we must introduce wahi-based knowledge. That will be our contribution to this civilization. We as Muslims rely on wahi-based knowledge just as you rely on human-based knowledge. If you bring the two together, then you have the ideal community and the ideal ummah. This is the story of Luqman. This Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uh, relates the story of human beings to us that there, 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 there are issues, realities in life like these five issues of life that you don't know. No one knows that. And Allah will never reveal them. Right? That's the point here. Through human experience and experimentation you will never know these five. It's not possible. Nor will Allah reveal them. So you have to acquiesce and submit. There are some things human beings will never know until Allah wants us to know them on the Day of Judgment. And even then, we may not know. If Allah decides, He won't go, He's not going to tell us. You just have to submit. Okay? So now that's the third prong. So you have human experience, you have wahi-based knowledge, and you have knowledge that only Allah knows. Then you are following the Nabi. Muhammad So this is the conclusion of the surah where the, 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 the way forward for Muslims is to say we build on human experience and then human experience uh, will help us understand wahi and wahi will help us understand that only Allah is Allah. And that's why you worship him. You don't worship Allah because you know everything about him. You worship Allah because you don't know too much about Him. That's a mystique. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala guide us and give us all the knowledge of this surah. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala allow us to implement the ayat of this surah in such a way that it's easy for us uh, and also in such a way that He's pleased with us in this world, also in the world hereafter. Ameen ya Rabbul Alameen. Wa sallallahu ala khayr 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 khayr